WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Five o'clock. Good morning. It is Friday. Thank God. February 2nd. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Clouds today could see some pop-up showers. High 43 now. You ready for this? Tomorrow, Saturday, sunshine. We haven't seen the sun. It's got to be more than a week, right? The high tomorrow, 44. And then Sunday, ready for this? Sunshine again, the high 45. If you are walking out the door with us right now, it is 40 and raining in Islip out on Long Island. It's 40 and cloudy in Passaic down in New Jersey. And it is 41 and cloudy outside our Midtown studios. We'll Start this hour as we work our way up to a special edition of Sit and Friends in the Morning talking about the story. Everybody is talking about these migrants who attacked two NYPD cops over the weekend in Times Square. Those cops were trying to break up a fight when they were attacked by this huge group. Now it's larger than we initially thought of migrants. The search continues for at least eight of these migrants who attacked these cops in front of a migrant shelter on 42nd Street. Most of all are believed to be residing in the city's shelter system, but so far they haven't been able to find them, at least not all of them anyway. The head of the PBA says it's outrageous that the initial crew that was arrested were given desk appearance tickets and then let go. These individuals who assaulted New York City police officers have no regard for the law. If we're not protected, how are we going to protect the people in the neighborhoods? The attack, which was caught on video, shows this group of men kicking and punching these two NYPD officers on the sidewalk. Thankfully, the officers are okay. Everybody outraged by this, but again, they haven't been able to find this whole crew, which could be 10, 12, they're not 100% sure. Here's the mayor, Mayor Adams' chief of staff. It's an absolute abomination, but they should not be back out on the street based upon what they did. And we have even some new information on this story over the last 24 hours. One of the migrants arrested is accused of stealing the officer's cell phones during the attack. He has prior arrests on Wednesday night. After this video came out and people started more and more of us started to hear about this story, the NYPD did a crackdown. They went out and uh, went to these areas where migrants congregate and they confiscated mopeds, electric bikes that were not registered with the city. The assistant commissioner of the NYPD says it was all about a quality of life you know, move throughout the city to make sure everything was okay, but also in response to that attack. Officers are extremely empathetic. You know, we do we do sympathize, we do empathize with them. However, our job is to public safety. You know, the mayor ran his campaign on public safety. We regularly go out, we respond to complaints, etc. And I think that the actions that were taken by the NYPD yesterday were completely consistent with that. Yeah, so the governor, Governor Hochul, was in the city yesterday riding those new trains. We'll get to that story in a moment. And uh, she says once they round up these migrants who were involved in this attack, all of them, she says they should be sent packing. Get them all and send them back. You don't, you don't touch our police officers. You don't touch anybody. 
So according to data, by the way, we should tell you the mayor's office says there were less migrants in the city's care last week. As of last week, 69,000 migrants were in the city's care as opposed to 67,000. So um, it's 67,000 now. So 2,000 less in the city's care. But of course, those buses, they continue to roll here into the city from the U.S.-Mexico border. That has not stopped. And multiple sources familiar with this entire story of this attack that took place in Times Square last weekend say four of those who were initially arrested and released likely boarded a bus to California. And so now the search has gone across state lines looking for these creeps who were involved in this attack on those cops. Uh, there was a awful moment at a high school in Queens yesterday. This is Martin Van Buren High, Hillside Avenue. A student, at least one, maybe two, pull out uh, knives. They stab two other students. The school goes into lockdown. This was during the school day. Uh, students at first, of course, didn't know exactly what was going on. They, the doors just closed, and I was just like, oh, wait, they don't usually lock the doors, and it wasn't time to leave yet. So I'm knocking on the door. Everyone's in the corner, and I asked my gym teacher, Mr. Handling, and he's just I'm like, what, what's going on? And they say, oh, yeah, they're looking for a kid. I'm just like, what kid? And then I hear later someone got stabbed. I was just like, what? Yeah, so the attack happened in the stairwell of the high school. One student was stabbed in the stomach and shoulder, the other in the shoulder. Thankfully, neither of these stabbing wounds are life-threatening. They were taken to Long Island Jewish Medical Center, where they're in stable condition. But, of course, just freaked out everybody at the school. How did they get the knives in? Lots of questions here. One was shirtless, and he had bandaged. The other one, he was just neck down, completely covered in the bandages. And I'm assuming that was the stomach wound that he had. NYPD says they have three people in custody. They wouldn't give us a whole lot more information than that. Uh, was there a beef here, a grudge? Did the students stab somebody they knew? That All that they haven't given to us. They had him in handcuffs and all the police and stuff were swarming him trying to make sure he, like, he wouldn't run or like fight back or anything. Because he was a pretty tall kid. NYPD says they promise they'll release a little more information on this attack today. No surprise you when you hear this. The uh, school Martin Van Buren High will have a much more beefed up police presence as kids head to school this morning. The rain, more misery for those homeowners in northern New Jersey who have been just flooded out time after time since before Christmas. Three huge floods. And last night... You had the State Department of Environmental Protection was in uh, Pompton Lakes and in Wayne, New Jersey, where the flooding has been really bad and has always been bad, but worse than usual now. They're trying to convince some of these homeowners to take part in the Blue Acres program, which is a voluntary program which relocates flood-stricken homeowners to places where it doesn't flood anymore. They buy their houses. Uh, About 50 homeowners I know in Pompton Lakes have taken advantage over this program over the last couple of years. Here's a homeowner in Pompton Lakes who said he's had enough. I've been in this town 60 years. So, I mean, I've been through enough floods. I would love to leave the state of New Jersey. It's getting too expensive. That's why I bought my condo down in Myrtle Beach. So this program pays for these homes in these flood zones market value. 
So some people are going to take advantage of it. And they had this meeting last night with all these people there of how the program works. A lot of people showed up because they wanted to get out of the flood zone. The mayor of Pompton Lake says this is a good program, but it does hurt his tax base. We've got 50 homes bought out about 10 years ago. Um, on our side of it, it's great for the residents, but it's tough for the towns. We're a small town. Our tax base is divided by 50 homes that are now left. Yeah, so the Blue Acres program, uh, they'll have another forum in Lodi where the flooding has been bad as well. Well, in the coming weeks, WABC News Time 509. Let's go down to Florida. Three people dead after a small plane crashed into a mobile home park in Clearwater. Not currently known how many is are dead on the ground or if there are any dead on the ground. Waiting for more details to come in as firefighters were working the scene overnight. We're in the process of working through with FAA and NTSB to uh, identify the aircraft as well as. Um, the the pilot or any other members that may have been over that airport. Here's what we do know. At least three homes had fire damage with the plane mostly in one piece. The cause of the crash, too early to know. Bring it back here into the city. New York's three major airports setting records for air travel in 2023, marking the busiest year ever for LaGuardia, JFK, and Newark. The Port Authority says 144 million people took to the skies from New York's metro airports, shattering pre-pandemic records. That's a 3% increase from 2019, the year before we got slammed by COVID. Newark scored the biggest increase with 49 million passengers, up 6% from 2019, followed by LaGuardia, which showed a 4% uptick. 62.5 million people flew through JFK International, and that's about the same as 2019. James Flippin for 77 WABC News. WABC News Time 511. Let's go down to D.C. The Senate gearing up to vote on a deal to secure the southern border and provide new military aid for Ukraine. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says lawmakers are close to reaching a deal. And the first vote will be no later than Wednesday. These challenges at the border and in Ukraine and the Middle East are just too great. And we will need to be here working. So this bill includes border policy changes to stop the flow of migrants coming across the U.S.-Mexico border. Funding for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan. The vote comes after months of intensive negotiations. As for the timing of the vote, I plan to file cloture on the motion to proceed to the vehicle on Monday, leading to the first vote on the National Security Supplemental no later than Wednesday. Conversations are ongoing. Some issues still need resolution. But we are getting very close on the National Security Supplemental. So much of this is about what's been happening at the U.S.-Mexico border. And in an effort to what they call stop the invasion, Governor DeSantis announcing he's deploying the Florida National Guard and State Guard to the southern border along the Texas side. So today we are going to fortify our presence along the southern border. We're providing up to one battalion of Florida National Guard, as well as our first ever deployment of the Florida State Guard. And the governor says Florida. Florida has already banned local governments from issuing ID cards to illegal migrants, condemn the flow of fentanyl over the southern border. Biden has the authority to close this border today if he wanted to. He lacks the will 
to get the job done. Our National Guard have helped staff observation points, patrols, and they have helped with fencing and barriers. Uh, Our Florida Department of Law Enforcement has assisted Texas DPS with arrests of violent gang members. And Texas uh, also going to get help from the governor of South Dakota. Christy Nome says she'll send National Guard members there as well. I am proud to support what Texas is doing to defend itself because I realize the consequences of what will happen if they don't. South Dakota is directly affected by this invasion. We are affected by cartel presence right here on our tribal reservations, by the spread of drugs and human trafficking throughout our communities, and by the drain on our resources at the local, the state, and the federal level. And a convoy of protesters who are angry about the White House border policy have made it to Texas, but not everybody's happy that that group has arrived. They're going into what's already uh, a volatile situation with high tensions between state officials and federal officials and a lot of innocent people in the middle. Democratic State Senator Jose Menendez there says that people cross the border all the time legally to shop or dine out. That's something he worries these out-of-state protesters won't understand. My concern is that these people may be anxious to exercise or make their presence known or make their trip worthwhile. We have a bunch of people who are completely unfamiliar with the way the Texas border works. WABC Newstime 514. Let's go back to Washington. The U.S is not at war with Iran. That's what Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was telling reporters yesterday. We will call upon Iran to uh, to quit supplying the Houthis with, uh, with these advanced conventional weapons that they've used <laughs> to attack ships in the, in the Red Sea. This comes after the latest attack on U.S. personnel by Iranian-backed militias turned deadly when three soldiers killed at a base in Jordan last week. And a report claims the U.S. is preparing to carry out a series of strikes against Iranian facilities and personnel in Iraq and in Syria. We look to hold the people that are responsible for this accountable. And we also look to make sure that uh, we continue to take away capability from them. And Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin talking about this miscommunication or no communication about his treatment for prostate cancer. Austin, in his first news conference since returning to the Pentagon, telling reporters he kept his hospitalization secret from President Biden because he said he had a lot of things on his plate at the time. Putting my personal uh, issue uh, on adding adding to his uh, all the things that he's got on his plate, I just didn't feel that that was, uh, that was a thing that I... I I should do at the time. Yeah, but he faced a lot of criticism as his unannounced hospitalization last month was not disclosed to Biden or any other senior administration official, apparently for days. We did not handle this right, and I did not handle this right. I should have told the president about my cancer diagnosis. I should have also told my team and the American public. WABC Newstime 515. Justin Ellick has the morning off, but we bring in to do sports this morning, Rhonda Moss. The Commanders hired former Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn as their next head coach. Patriots found their next offensive coordinator as they hired former Browns offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt. Niners tight end George Kittle did not practice yesterday due to a toe injury as they continue to prep for their Super Bowl 58 matchup against the Chiefs in Vegas. NBA last night, Austin Reeves dropped in a season-high 32, including seven threes to help the Lakers knock off the Celtics. LeBron James and Anthony Davis were both out due to injuries. Jalen Brunson game-high 40 
as the Knicks rallied to beat the Pacers for their ninth straight win. Tyrese Maxey, career-high 51 to lift the Sixers past the Jazz. Joel Embiid dealing with a meniscus injury in his knee. Grizzlies traded big man Steven Adams to the Rockets in exchange for guard Victor Oladipo and three second-round picks. That's sports. Ronza Moss, NBC News Radio. WABC News Time 519. President Biden says the U.S. is praying and actively working for peace and the people of Israel and Gaza. For all those who are living in dire circumstances, innocent men, women, and children held hostage or under bombardment or displaced, not knowing where the next meal will come from. President speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast yesterday. President First Lady continue, they say, to pray for the families of those three U.S. service members killed in Jordan. The President First Lady going to attend today the dignified transfer of those service members' bodies. Uh, he finished his saying his prayer by saying that the country continues to believe its best days are ahead of us. I spoke with each of these families separately, and Jill and I will be tomorrow at Dover Air Force Base to receive the dignified transfer of their bodies. They've raised their lives in harm's way. They risked it all. And we'll never forget the sacrifices and service to our country. That'll take place a little bit later this morning at Dover Air Force Base. Uh, here the president says he thinks the nation's best days are in front of us. But as a nation, we continue to believe in honesty, decency, dignity, and respect. We see each other not as enemies, but as fellow human beings. 520, the Biden administration now announcing that it's going to impose sanctions against Israeli settlers in the West Bank. The president uh, signed a new executive order that will implement new measures to address actions that undermine peace, security and stability in the West Bank. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby there says the executive order allows for financial sanctions visa bans against four individuals that were directly involved in attacking and displacing Palestinian civilians in the occupied West Bank. Including acts or threats of violence against civilians, intimidating civilians to cause them to leave their homes, destroying or seizing property or engaging in terrorist activity uh, in the West Bank. WABC News Time 521. While we're overseas, Ukraine's army chief has been fired now. President Zelensky has yet to make a formal announcement, but sources told CNN he's expected to soon. This would be the biggest change to his military since the beginning of Russia's invasion of Ukraine nearly two years ago. There's been a reported rift between the president and the general surrounding the Ukrainian counteroffensive's failure last year. The army chief calling the war a stalemate to The Economist magazine in November seemed to have added to that tension. I'm Lisa Taylor. 521, let's bring it back home down to Washington. Senate Republicans continue to demand that social media companies do more to stop the spread of explicit material. Texas Senator Ted Cruz outraged that Instagram is merely slapping a warning on pictures of child exploitation. You gave users two choices. Get resources or see results Anyway, so instead of a warning, the senator wants that wiped off the Internet. The head of Instagram, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, told a hearing this week that they're doing more than any other companies to suspend accounts that trade in abusive content. In what sane universe is there a link for C results anyway? Cruz says the warnings on Instagram about explicit content involving kids are worthless if users are allowed to child uh, take a, that and put that content up anyway. Did anyone report that user? Did anyone go and try to protect that child? What did you do next? 522, the mother of Oxford high school shooter Ethan Crumbly taking the stand yesterday. Jennifer Crumbly talked about her relationship with Ethan. I trusted him. 
and I felt like I had an open door and he can come to me about anything. I mean, I felt, I felt as a family, we were, we were, the three of us were really close. Jennifer Crumbly on the stand. She's facing charges, including involuntary manslaughter in the deaths of those four students and the wounding of seven others. Her son, who was a 15 at the time of the 2021 mass shooting, was sentenced in December to life in prison. His parents accused of ignoring their troubled son and allowing him to have access to that gun. There was a couple of times where Ethan had expressed anxiety over taking tests, um, anxiety about what he was going to do after high school, whether it was college, uh, military. Let's move from that story over to Louisiana. The newly elected governor of Louisiana wants to change the rules for death row to include both hangings and firing squads. States around us are finding ways and methods to execute those that have been tried and convicted and sentenced to death. Governor Jeff Landry frustrated that dozens of convicted criminals continue to sit on death row. The state has not carried out an execution since 2010. Much of that is due to the shortage of drugs used for lethal injection. Other states having the same issue. So uh, Alabama recently, of course, carried out the country's first execution using nitrogen gas. Not clear if Landry's on board with that. When we fail to abide by our promises and our contractual obligations to victims out there. How can we go around and say that we have any credibility on anything else that we do? And he says for him, it's really all about justice for the victims' families. I have committed myself to those families because I've sat in front of those families. I've listened to those families. They deserve their day of justice. WABC News Time 524. A government watchdog group investigating the Biden administration's rollout of the new FAFSA form. The launch has been delayed by a bunch of months. It's been riddled with errors, by the way, leaving students in limbo as they're unable to access crucial financial aid information for college. What this means is that high school counselors had to postpone financial aid information sessions, and they still do not have guidance from the Department of Education on how to assist students to complete FAFSA. This has been, by the way, just a total mess. Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy talking to reporters, saying the Government Accountability Office has taken up Republican lawmakers' request to look into the issue. He accused the White House of focusing on what he called their student loan schemes rather than fulfilling their basic responsibilities of getting this FAFSA form correct. Many students, think about this, Many students may forego college because they don't know that they can afford it. That is the issue here. Yeah, that's FAFSA form is usually out in the fall. Here we are. It's not out till January. 525, making plans for Valentine's Day. Why not head to the Empire State Building? Love is in the air. The iconic Empire State Building will host a private V-Day dining experience for a single couple, including a meal and wine pairings atop the entirely private 102nd floor for $10,000. The happily Empire After package offers couples the chance to pop the question with champagne in a private area on the 86th floor observatory. That comes with a $1,000 price tag. James Flippin for 77 WABC News. (laughs) Okay. The, uh, talking heads have been quoted as saying there's no amount of money to get them to reunite. Apparently, 
$80 million is not enough. That's crazy. Billboard reporting that the band turned down Live Nation's $80 million offer to headline up to eight festival gigs and headlining slots. A co-founder of the Coachella Festival reportedly offered Talking Heads up to $10 million to play at this year's events. Members of the band got together last year at the Toronto International Film Festival to promote the 40th anniversary of that great concert film, Stop Making Sense. But they haven't performed together as a band since their 2002 induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and apparently they're not going to now. Grateful Dead offshoot, you know, Dead and Company, they're heading to the Las Vegas Sphere, where the U2 has been entertaining for a while. A year after going out on their final tour, the band featuring Bob Weir, Mickey Hart, John Mayer will play 18 shows over six weeks at the Cutting Edge venue. In a teaser video posted on social media, the band says there are other ways to make sure music never stops, and they say this is going to be a ball. Uh, the Dead, no doubt, will sold, sell out all of those shows because they just have just a huge following. The opening bell, it rings this morning on Wall Street after stocks closed sharply higher yesterday. This comes after a sell-off due to the Fed hinting that a rate cut is not likely going to happen in March. At the closing bell, the Dow gained 369 points. S&P 500 gained 60. NASDAQ was up 197 points. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noam Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noam on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 531. Good morning. It is Friday, February 2nd. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Clouds today could see some pop-up showers, high 43. But you're ready for this? Something I haven't been able to say for like more than a week now. Saturday, sunshine. Yeah, you'll see the sun again. High 44. Sunday, yeah, more sunshine. High 45. If you are walking out the door with us, so happy you are. 40 and raining in Islip out on Long Island. It's 40 and cloudy down in Passaic in New Jersey. And it is 40 and cloudy outside our Midtown studios. We will start this hour with what is another subway fall. What a week it has been. Maybe you, if you've been listening, we told you earlier this week about a 12-year-old kid who fell onto the subway tracks in Brooklyn and then had the right of mind to roll over off the track into that overhang, just the small little space that's next to the subway tracks. That train roared into the Metropolitan Station. One car went past him, but he's okay. I mean, some injuries from falling on the track. Then we have another guy, a 36-year-old, who fell onto the subway tracks, also in Brooklyn, watching the body camera footage this morning from the cops who saved his life. We'll put it up at WABCRadio.com. Not clear why he fell onto the tracks, but this was at the Lafayette Avenue station. And the cops doing this incredible job. So one officer races and takes his flashlight and runs to the end of the platform because they hear a train coming in. And he's there just waving his flashlight like crazy to try to get the operator's attention to slow down the train. While the other officer is actually reaching for this guy who's on the tracks to pull him up. And he does. He's able to grab this guy's arm and pull him back onto the platform. Really incredible. When I heard that horn, I just started yelling at the guy. Because he was a little dazed. He didn't really know what was going on. But if the one thing you know that got through to him was, hey, give me your hand. Give me your hand. And sure, he gave 
gave me both his hands and I was able to pull him up. So I'm just thankful, you know, that we were able to pull him up. Yeah, that, that horn is, is scary, you know. You know, you just hear it. You're not looking at him. You're not looking at the train. You're looking at the person. Those off- yeah, those officers just complete, total heroes. I mean, they do this kind of work every day, but amazing. They were able to save this guy just as the train was pulling into the station. The man was disoriented. We don't know what was up with him, bleeding from the head. He's recovering at a local hospital. We told you earlier this week that Governor Murphy out in New Jersey says he's not going to get in the way of stopping these new toll hikes that are going to go up on the Garden State Parkway and New Jersey Turnpike come March 1st. Now, when he was running for re-election, of course, he got in the way. This time, now he's not. He's done. He can't. He's term limited out. So this is the fourth toll hike since 2020. And uh, while it's only 3%, it means about $78 a year. You know, look, $78 a year, that's 78 bucks. Uh, I was talking yesterday with Bergen County Republican State Assemblyman Robert Auth, who wants to know exactly what the money is going to be used for. And a lot of people have this question. We had one snow for this entire winter. The past two winters were very, very moderate. There should have been some serious cost savings there, and they keep increasing the budget. Yeah, so, right, if there was no snow for three years, there really hasn't been, and a lot of the money is used for that kind of thing, maybe we should get some of the money back instead of charging us more. But he says, no, they keep hiring people. The salaries are bloated. The 3% hike's not a lot, but he says most drivers won't even know they're hit with that hike until maybe they look at their bill. But most people don't even look at their bill, right? It just it comes right out of your account. Uh, it's all, none of it seems very transparent. 90% of the driving public has no idea that there's going to be a toll increase. About $80 more per year for the average driver. And what I like about this assembly, Minoff, is he's all about transparency. So he's sponsoring a bill. I mean, he admittedly told me, It doesn't stand a chance, but he's sponsoring a bill that would force the turnpike and the parkway to post how much the toll is every time a driver goes through the toll booth. Now, if you have easy pass, which most people do, when you go through the toll booth, what do you say? It says, thank you. right? Thanks you for taking your money, but you have no idea how much you paid. And um, we were joking with each other that I take rides to Philadelphia pretty often down the New Jersey Turnpike because I have a kid that goes to school there. I have no idea what it costs. I couldn't tell you because it comes right out of my account. I never see a bill. I guess if I looked specifically at EasyPass, I'd know. But he says, how great would it be is when you drive through that toll booth, it told you how much you had just paid. People would probably get a whole lot more pissed off. Anonymous tolls, you don't know what you're paying. I mean, the whole thing is is steeped in darkness so that uh, there's no transparency and uh, I think politicians in general, the ones that are in control now, is to keep the public ignorant. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, I think he's right. So he's sponsoring this bill that would have the Turnpike and Garden State Parkway post how much you just paid. Not, that's not a chance this thing's going to go through, but I think it's a good idea. WABC News Time 538. NYPD cops asking for our help to find a missing man in Brooklyn who has not been seen since Tuesday, 60-year-old uh, Larry McKnight was last seen 2 p.m. on Tuesday walking near the intersection of Utica Avenue and Pacific Street in Brooklyn. McKnight's family concerned because he has dementia. Boy, we get these stories so often. Uh, let's hope this one has a good ending. He has no cell phone. Of course, his family worried, sick that he's out in the cold. Here is his daughter. I just want him home, like right now. And they put, the officers um, put out a uh, silver alert. 
they doing what they have to do, but nobody still found him. So Larry normally goes to this nearby corner store. It's one of his favorite places to go shopping. So he's either there or sometimes he goes to his girlfriend's house. But he's never gone this long without reaching out to family members. Here's his granddaughter. It's just scary knowing that he's out there, knowing that he don't got no cell phone, knowing that he don't know where he at. So I'm scared. Yeah, police telling us they're intimately involved in the search for Larry. 540. Nurses out on Long Island ready to walk off the job. A potential strike would include nurses and healthcare professionals working at Northwell Long Island Jewish Valley Stream and Peconic Bay Medical Center. They're demanding uh, fair contracts. Their contract ended in December. They want better wages, uh, safer staffing, benefits. I've been here 20 years. I've been a nurse for 44 years. And it's a shame that Northwell LIJ Valley Stream can treat their nurses like this. So staffing has just been a huge issue for nurses across the tri-state. There was a hospital down in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where nurses were on strike. Overall, staffing more than anything else for months on end. Same here. The nurses say they're just overworked, and they say they want their pay to be in line with other nurses on Long Island. We are busy because of the community we serve. Um, we have a lot of surgeries. We have a lot of elective and emergent surgeries. Um, our on-call pay it's not even comparable to the other hospitals. The nurses say their contract ended on December 31st of last year, 2023. The Peconic Medical Center, LIJ Valley Stream leadership says they met with the New York State Nurses Association for several sessions since starting negotiations in the fall. And they say they'll continue to bargain in good faith. They say they want to reach a deal that both they and the nurses are happy with. An MTA board meeting this week, CEO Jano Lieber came out really angry. He's upset that Garden State politicians, including Governor Murphy, suing them, saying congestion pricing, which they want to start in the spring, was rushed and that it would be a burden to drivers in New Jersey, for that matter, all across the tri-state. Several other lawsuits have followed stalling the tolling project. That is New Jersey drivers say the $15 toll, and that's what we're being told, to go below 60th Street in Manhattan. That's what congestion pricing is all about. The money will be used for public transportation. They say that's a disaster for them after crossing a bridge or a tunnel and then to pay a toll on top of that. That's ridiculous. You're giving tickets for everything. You're still not making any money and you're charging all of this money for people who work hard for theirs so bergen county has filed papers to join these uh, lawsuits there's a lot of them the county has seven municipalities more than one million residents filing papers to join new jersey and fort lee's lawsuit to stop new york from implementing congestion pricing the bergen county executive weighing in they're trying to fix mismanagement for years and years and years on the backs of others and that's not fair. Jim Tedesco, the county executive from Bergen County, he says his legal team argues drivers will try to avoid both tunnels, which, of course, leave you uh, uh, in Midtown. And then you'd have to pay that toll to come to the George Washington Bridge to be above it. So they say it'll just be a nightmare now for Fort Lee and the t- surrounding towns if this happens. So he says they're going to do everything they can to make sure it doesn't. So what will happen is the traffic will back up more and more. The environment will suffer because of the the emissions from all the cars and the trucks. And the traffic already kind of a nightmare daily at the George Washington Bridge anyway. But Governor Hochul, she was weighing in on this yesterday. She says all systems are go to make congestion pricing happen. And she says she will beat back and win all these lawsuits. So people have a right to sue, but we have gone to 
thousands and thousands of hours and pages of environmental rule. We've worked with the federal government, made all the thousands of adjustments. We have done everything possible to bring this to reality. And the MTA has done everything possible to bring it to reality as well. If you have not been in Midtown Manhattan lately, the transponders that will collect your money by taking pictures of your license plate, they're up. Right outside on our side of the neighborhood, on the east side, right near Bloomingdale's, right anything right below 60th Street, there are transponders. If you come out of the Lincoln and Holland tunnels, they're there ready to collect that toll as well. So they say all's go for the spring rollout. Those lawsuits, though, might get in the way of it. I had a cool moment last night. Do you remember Philip Petit? He was the guy who crossed the high wire uh, between the World Trade Centers back in 1974, got the world's attention, a tightrope essentially, between the Twin Towers. It was legal. He didn't tell anybody he was doing it, but he successfully made it across, no net below him. And uh, his crew invited me last night to the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. As he walked a high wire across the top of the church, it was really cool. So it was an art exhibit at the top of the church, a field of ribbons. Think all these colorful ribbons hanging down. And then he walked through the ribbons, at times blinded by them. And, uh, you know, he had that little pole that keeps his balance, no net below him. And uh, there were about 1,400 people who were there last night, uh, along with me, who were holding their breath, hoping that he would make it across. I thought it was, uh, it was magic. It, you get lost in the movements of the ribbons. It's a place of worship. It's a place where God, the arts, and everything else comes together. So the good news is he made it across just fine because he's a pro and he's done it before. He, last night, was talking about how in 1974 he gained the world's attention when he walked that tightrope between the ten t- uh, twin towers. Frankly, it seems like it was yesterday. It's so vivid in my memory. And to be able to not be afraid of death, I have to be very careful in protecting my life. Yeah, so, and he's been able to do it. He's 74 years old now. He was arrested for that stunt, by the way, but the charges were eventually dropped. All right, 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC sports desk. Justin Ellick has the morning off, but Rhonda Moss is here. The Commanders hired former Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn as their next head coach. Patriots found their next offensive coordinator as they hired former Browns offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt. Niners tight end George Kittle did not practice yesterday due to a toe injury as they continue to prep for their Super Bowl 58 matchup against the Chiefs in Vegas. NBA last night, Austin Reeves dropped in a season-high 32, including seven threes to help the Lakers knock off the Celtics. LeBron James and Anthony Davis were both out due to injuries. Jalen Brunson game-high 40 as the Knicks rally to beat the Pacers for their ninth straight win. Tyrese Maxey, career-high 51 to lift the Sixers past the Jazz. Joel Embiid dealing with a meniscus injury in his knee. Grizzlies traded big man Steven Adams to the Rockets in exchange for guard Victor Oladipo and three second-round picks. That's sports. Ronza Moss, NBC News Radio. Let's catch you up on some of the bigger stories of the morning. The search continues for at least eight migrants who attacked those two NYPD cops in front of a migrant shelter on 42nd Street in Times Square last weekend. Most, if not all of them, are believed to have been residing in the city shelter system. Uh, the PBA 
as among uh, a lot of other people, speaking out, very angry about this attack that took place. These two officers were trying to break up a fight in Times Square over the weekend and then were attacked by this large crew of migrants. These individuals who assaulted New York City police officers have no regard for the law. If we're not protected, how are we going to protect the people in the neighborhoods. Likely you've seen this video. It shows a group of men kicking, punching two NYPD officers on the sidewalk. The two officers were trying to break up this disorderly group when things escalated. Mayor's chief of staff, she's angry too. It's an absolute abomination, but they should not be back out on the street based upon what they did. Yeah, five of them who were arrested over the weekend were given desk appearance tickets and then told they could leave. Once uh, the migrants is accused of stealing the officer's cell phones during the attack. Uh, a couple of these people, you won't be shocked to hear, have prior arrests. The NYPD responding in a number of ways. One of them was they went out and did some quality of life uh, issues or going around the city looking to see what was going on over the last couple of days, uh, going to some migrant areas, one of them outside the Rowe Hotel in Midtown Manhattan, where they were confiscating electric bikes and scooters that had not been registered with the city. Some of them may be involved with crimes where migrants have been rolling up behind unsuspecting New Yorkers, grabbing uh, headphones off their heads, uh, cell phones, wallets, purses. And so the, some of these uh, these bikes were confiscated yesterday. Officers are extremely empathetic. You know, we do we do sympathize. We do empathize with them. However, our job is to public safety. You know, the mayor ran his campaign on public safety. We regularly go out, we respond to complaints, etc. And I think that the actions that were taken by the NYPD yesterday were completely consistent with that. Governor Hochul, who was in the city yesterday, says she thinks once all this entire crew is rounded up, and they will be at some point, that they should all be sent back to their home countries. Get them all and send them back. You don't don't touch our police officers. You don't touch anybody. So this is what we're being told. Multiple sources telling us that they believe four of those who were initially arrested and released have boarded a bus under aliases and were headed towards the California-Mexico border. So we'll follow this story because it's far from over. A tragic and panicked moment in Queens yesterday afternoon. This is at Martin Van Buren High School on Hillside Avenue. All of a sudden, in the stairwell, two people pull out a knife. They start stabbing other students. The school immediately goes into lockdown. They, the doors just closed, and I was just like, wait, they don't usually lock the doors. And it wasn't time to leave yet, so I'm knocking on the door. Everyone's in the corner, and I asked my gym teacher, Mr. Handling, and he's just I'm just like, what, what's going on? And they say, oh, yeah, they're looking for a kid. I'm just like what kid and then i hear later someone got stabbed i was just like what yeah one student stabbed in the stomach and shoulder the other in the shoulder neither thankfully are life-threatening injuries we don't have a whole lot of details of what started this fight or even how the knives were snuck into the school one was shirtless and he had bandaged the other one he was just neck down completely covered in the bandages and i'm assuming that was the stomach wound that he had So students were on this brief lockdown as the cops and everybody else tried to figure out what was going on. They had him in handcuffs and all the police and stuff were swarming him trying to make sure he like he wouldn't run or like fight back or anything because he was a pretty tall kid. 
Yeah, so again, more details of what caused this fight, I doubt, no doubt, will come out a little bit later today. Of course, police say their presence will be beefed up big time outside Martin Van Buren High as kids show up this morning. New York City lifeguards getting a pay raise for the 2024 summer season. The Parks Department Lifeguard Union agreed to raise wages to 22 bucks an hour. That's not too bad. Returning lifeguards will get a $1,000 bonus if they work through the peak season. New York City, of course, dealing with another lifeguard shortage. This is all across the country, for that matter, which has been plaguing the nation. It began about the time of the pandemic. Parks Department hopes the pay hike will give the Big Apple a competitive edge to recruit lifeguards and encourage the ones who worked last summer. That 1000 bucks will help to come back this summer. We were watching on yesterday. It looks like we'll finally get a new Port Authority bus terminal. Boy, the one is not that's there now is not incredibly pleasant to go through. Port Authority of New York and New Jersey unveiling its plan for this terminal yesterday. Rick Cotton, who's the executive director of the Port Authority, says they'll be spending ten billion dollars to make the terminal a great symbol, he says, for the New York City region. Our goal is to build a world class bus terminal that is worthy of this region. So the project will take probably around eight years, at least that's what the thought is. We'll include three new buildings, including a new main terminal, new staging area, storage facility, new bus ramps. Cotton says the ramps will take buses directly into the Lincoln Tunnel without clogging up local streets. So he says it's going to be a lot better for the commuters coming in and out every day. It is time to turn the page. It is time to spend $10 billion and get a new terminal. Meanwhile, the MTA rolling out a new version of its modern R211 subway cars. The gangway cars allow passengers to move freely from one car to another. There's no more of those doors in the way. Transit chief Michael Kemper says they'll eliminate the space between the cars that are often used by subway surfers. So they hope that will make it a little bit safer on these trains. This train doesn't offer them uh, the exit or the entry uh, that the other ones do. So it's in my opinion, if you're asking me, it's a, a safer car uh, when it's uh, talking subway surfing. Now, the doorways to get on the subway, they are wider, which will help with wheelchair accessibility. But some transit advocates worry that will make it so it's more crowded on the train as more people shove to get onto cars. Governor Hochul, she was in the city yesterday riding one of these trains. Wider doors. Wheelchair accessibility is easier when there's more space to go in and out. It just makes sense. And so you can get out, your commutes can be easier. Also, these new cars have security cameras already built in. C-Line will get the first uh, train, so uh, some of those trains on the C-Line are awfully old, so you'll get some of these new ones. Never has this been done in New York before, and there are a lot of operational issues, so the goal is to really test this out to see how the public reacts. Yes, so for the most part, they've been testing this out for a little while. Riders are giving these new cars the thumbs up. And we'll end with... Irvington girls varsity basketball team. Gina Marr, she's the coach. She has done it all. She's one of these coaches that's incredible. She has won six state titles, five federation championships, holds a spot in the New York State Basketball Hall of Fame. And yesterday she won her 800th career win. That's for, for high school basketball. That's incredible. And uh, her former students, a lot of them, 
showed up last night when they knew that she was going to win this game. They beat Eastchester pretty handily yesterday. Former players, coaches, family, friends on hand to see this historic moment as she notched her 800th win. And in typical fashion, which is always the case, it seems, with these coaches who are such winners, uh, she didn't have a whole lot to say about it. She says she doesn't understand all the fuss that's being made over her. It's not really about me. It's about them and their program. And, and um, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky to be in Irvington and to be with these people. Yeah, so she says it's all about the players she's got to work with all over the years. Congratulations to Coach Gina Marr.